You are now listening to the Manifest Abounds podcast, a platform for listeners to find inspiration, acceptance, and laughter through their listening experience. Join Laura and your host for the many unique episodes to come of intellectual interviews, as well as personal experiences told of Lauren's own self-transformation. We love to hear from our listening audience and encourage you to leave a short review to help us expand and grow collectively. We hope you enjoy the content and appreciate every listener's love and support provided. strangers with a story and I must add that me and Chris went to high school together so it has been what almost 10 years that is really depressing and I hate to admit that because that makes me feel ancient but yeah so me and Chris went to high school together and y'all know how I met Tristan (laughs) he's my babe daddy (laughs) so anyways um yeah so y'all just kind of you know talk for a second Chris I want you to tell me a little bit about yourself. I'm Chris. I uh, I was in the military for about six years before I got hurt and got out. Right now, I work. I'm just working at a body shop. I mean, other than that, it's just a day to day thing for me. You said you're working at a body shop now, correct? Yeah. That's what yeah. Um, Tristan's dad does. My dad owns a body shop in Abbeville. Oh, see, so he ain't too far from where I'm at. Yeah, yeah, you're in Greenwood. Are you still in Greenwood? I know y'all graduated yeah, together. But... Yeah. I work over there at a body shop by the big Kubota. Oh, nice. Well, what's it called? Auto Works Collision and Design. Yeah, I think, I, I think I've seen that place before. and never been there. I've right. seen the Kubota place. It's right beside Kubota. It's literally Kubota in my shop. That's like yeah. going down Abbeville Highway, right? So it's like right next to the gas station that you pass and then the big church that's behind it, right? No, that's over there oh. by... <laughs> Just kidding. Like going to Fuji film. Oh, okay. So it's on the opposite side. Okay, well, maybe... I've, I've probably passed it. I'm sure I have. But anyways... If you get a break on the lake or sports break, or any, I mean, uh, the lake out there, yeah, you've passed it. <laughs> yeah, I'm just directionally challenged. I'm sure I've passed it. I've had to have. But anywho, so this interview, me and you kind of like chit-chatted about what we were going to talk about because there's some things that I feel that me and you can relate on as well as things that we are going to be polar opposite um, in our experience of. So I kind of want you and I to elaborate on high school. Just considering we are like, ancient grandparents now I feel (laughs) just kidding I'm not even gonna say that um we're young forever but anyways it's just like when you think of high school it feels like it was just yesterday but then I'm like how in the heck has 10 years almost already gone by it just feels like that's insane but say 10 years yeah like that's just that's nuts but I feel like me and you had two totally different experiences as far as what we had happen in high school, so. You were a popular kid. See, and I never thought that way. Like, I feel like I never made 
like a lot of friends until about senior year. I like really kept to myself until because, you know, I just had like my close, tight group of friends. It was normally me, Abby and Becca. And then Danielle was there for ninth grade, I think. And then she left and went off to governor's school. So it was like those were my friends and that was all. <laughs> but then it was like once I got into senior year, I kind of started like hanging out with more people in our class but until then I mean I just felt like I didn't talk to anybody except for my close group I had like a real small circle yeah but... me I just try to fit in wherever I'll go out there and try to tailgate with people and try to live the life of a popular kid even though I wasn't <laughs> see high school it's such a I don't even know like it's a scary place honestly if you think about it like it didn't really scare me that much at the time but I just feel like looking back at it now I'm like kids are so mean like high school's pretty scary you know yeah like I just it's if you watch like tv and movies that are like made about high school it's so like clicky and everybody is so mean and like it's way worse on it's like dramatized on tv at least i hope so i feel like we had a pretty good high school but i'm sure there are some out there that are like that truly i mean i don't know yeah it was no high school musical Mm-mm. <laughs> no sir not in greenwood county but not greenwood county <laughs> But I did like Greenwood High. I'll say I, I had a very good high school experience. Like, I do think back to it, and I'm like, you know, I know I slept in all of my classes. <laughs> like, I know that for facts because Miss Doolittle used to throw stuff at me. Like, she would get mad, big mad at me because it was history class, and she would cut the lights off and make us take notes. And I sat in the very back, so I would definitely sleep in her class because it was right after lunch. And she knew it. She knew. So she would always just wait for me to fall asleep and then come over with a big old book and bang it on the desk next to me and scare me to death. on the floor. Yeah, like she would get so angry at me. But, um, yeah, and then it was like outside of actual classes, I did dance team and cheerleading and I'm like, now looking back, how the heck did I have that energy to do such things? Like, if someone were to ask me to do that in college, I was like, mm, I think I'm good on that. Like, I did cheer in college, but that was like, I just like to do that. And I did ride for the equestrian team, but it was like, those were the things I enjoyed doing. But as far as like going to you know, the sorority meetings and doing things outside of school that were, like, academic. I was like, y'all can forget that. <laughs> Absolutely not. Speaking of the Equestrial Center, you know where my shop's at, man. You got to pass my shop to go to the Equestrial Center. <laughs> I'm telling you, I probably have passed it a thousand times, but for whatever reason, the only Kubota that I can see in my mind is the one going towards Abbeville. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, you talking about high school. Have you even been by the high school since you left? <laughs> like, I've driven past it, but I haven't gone up there at all to see anybody. They don't, they don't have an auditorium anymore. What? Well, what did they do? That Where that auditorium was at, they made it classrooms for the uh, the middle schoolers that come in. What's that program? Yeah. 
Hmm. That's interesting. I wonder where they do the pageants and stuff now. Probably, I don't know. Like the gymnasium or something, maybe? They built a new gymnasium, too. Well, it must be nice. I think... <laughs> oh, anyways. You remember when the deer went through the window of the gym? Yes. I was there that morning when that happened. Yeah, I was, too. I was just like, what in tarnation has just happened? A deer jumped through the damn glass door. I know who made that happen, too. Someone made that happen. I thought it was just a deer losing his mind. No, they, uh, put, they, put deer, they put no year now. Oh, my. <laughs> yeah. Oh, gosh. Yeah, well, that's what I'm saying. People in high school. High school was fun, though. It really was a good time. What do you think the pros and cons of what you can remember about it is? Like, do you feel like you had a really good experience or do you think it was like, nah? like, how do you feel? My freshman and sophomore year was awful. I just, I know I was, I was bullied a lot in school. I don't know See, if you ever noticed that. No, that's uh, why I wanted to ask you because I remember that. And I, I just feel like, like, that's what I'm saying. Like, kids are fucking mean. They're mean. Excuse my language, but Jesus. Like, kids are mean. And I just remember that being one thing that happened a lot. Like, and it was, like, almost as if you had, like, a bullseye on your back. Like, everyone targeted you because you were just so nice and you just wanted to be funny and make people laugh. And so they took that up as an advantage almost. That's how I feel. That's how I feel it was. And then in my junior and senior year, I mean, I kind of just, like, said, fuck it. Right. I mean, you have to, really. Yeah. See, I, I was mean, bullied in, like, middle school. So, like, my sixth, seventh, and people kind of left me alone in eighth grade because I feel like I started to kind of blossom into myself. And I actually started to look more like a girl and not this, like, chunky little redneck girl who wore t-shirts all the time and just looked a mess like I got picked on so so bad and then it was like I, I made cheerleading and I started to like do my hair a certain way and then people started to treat me differently and I just think that that's so messed up <laughs> I'm just like why are kids like that but it makes me sad because I'm like you know, if that happened to me, like, what happened to the other kids that I know got bullied, too? You know, what's crazy thing about that, too, is uh, now that you mentioned Northside, we've known each other for a long time. Yeah, I know. I didn't really even think about it either, but we did go to middle school together, too. So, yeah. we go way back. Know. Did you remember Heather? Matt, I don't remember her last name. Lee, I don't know what her name She was... I can't remember her name. <laughs> it's okay. I'm uh, really good with faces. She bullied me a lot. And uh, after I got in the military, she was trying to get a hold of me and want me to give her this, give her that. Try to apologize for everything she did. You know, I had the same thing happen to me. The The one person, the guy that bullied me the most and almost made it to the point where, like, I almost fell into an eating disorder of, um, like, having anorexia in a way. It was, like, when I started to 
really like starved myself. Like I refused to eat because he picked on me so much and got like everyone at our lunch table to start throwing food at me and call me the buffalo. It was horrible. And my friends were even laughing because I mean, thinking back to it, I mean, you can't help but laugh about something like that now. But it was like at the time I acted as if it didn't bother me, but it really messed with me. And like, so I quit eating. I would not eat. And it was like, I'm in that point where I guess my brain obviously hadn't developed either. And <laughs> I was reading some magazine and I'm, I'm like the epitome of a dumb blonde. I swear, like my mom and my mom's best friends, like we all used to joke about it because it was just, I don't even know. I was just out there. But I remember reading like Cosmo or Seventeen magazine and it was talking about eating and I guess like drinking or um breathing really like in deep when you're eating your food or something and it said like if you do that it'll make you like gain extra weight or something something about that I have no idea I must have read the article wrong so what I read <laughs> in my mind was if you swallow air you'll gain weight so I walked around this whole entire day holding my breath <laughs> and then only taking a breath every time that I could. And my mom was like, what in the hell are you doing? And I was like, Cosmo said that if you hold your breath, like you'll save yourself from gaining weight. Like it'll add an extra two pounds on even. And she was like, you did not read that somewhere. That is not true, Lauren. Quit doing this. Like, why are you walking around holding your breath? Like it was ridiculous. But that's the type of stuff I would do because like I was so just self-conscious of like my weight and then like the way I felt about myself the way I looked and like everything like I also this is just TMI but anyways it happened so I'm gonna tell about it I had this like um I guess it was like hormonal so you know how guys go through puberty well we do too and I guess my hormones were absolutely like crazy acting and out of whack and so I started sweating profusely just under my arms so it was like I would have like you know how when we were that age I mean I'm in like seventh grade and um you would wear like the Hollister shirts or something like and they're real tight to you I don't wear shit like that now absolutely not but I don't either yeah I, I, I remember those days <laughs> but I hate wearing things that cling to me and I used yeah. to though so I used to wear shirts like that and so it would definitely show that I was sweating and it was just weird because I wasn't hot or anything. It was just literally my hormones going crazy and making that happen. So I ended up having to go to the doctor for it and everything, but that was a big reason people picked on me and I would be so self-conscious. I would literally be wearing a sweatshirt or a jacket in like a hundred degree weather and everyone no, knew. That. that makes sense. <laughs> do you remember that yes yeah so like people were literally like um they knew they knew that that was why I did it but like I didn't care I just didn't want it to be seen or shown and I would also start wearing black like nothing but black shirts because I knew that it was harder to see in the black shirts so I was like a freak about that kind of stuff and people would pick on me about that so it was just like anything like that it made me entirely like just a different person because before I started to get bullied like that I never thought about things like that it never yeah. crossed my mind but then getting bullied it was all I worried about and all I thought of yeah my, my I was raised by foster parents most of my life anyway I didn't really know my parents but 
the last foster family I was with, which stuck me in Greenwood, I would get picked on. I would have issues like that. My uh, my grandmother, she she's a she was a wise woman. <laughs> they they normally are our grandmothers. And they pick it on you because they're self conscious about themselves. Mm hmm. Well, that's the thing is, I guess I forgot where I was going with that story. But anyways, yeah, the guy that picked on me the most, and I know you know who he is and everybody too, but um, I'm not going to say his name, but he came to my house like I was throwing a party. And I'm talking about this was like not that long ago, like five years ago, maybe I had a party at my house and he, um, he drank a little bit too much that night and he <laughs> just started belligerently crying and so I went and I was trying to take care of him and I was like are you good like what's up you know what's wrong why are you sad and he just fell into my arms and started crying and was like I'm so sorry for the way I treated you I'm so sorry for what I made you feel like and I feel like I caused you to you know go through in school when we were younger I'm just so so sorry and he apologized and I was like oh my goodness it's okay that was forever ago I was like we were kids it's fine yeah. but he you could tell like he remembered and it was still something that weighed on him obviously or in a belligerent spell of crying he would never have said it because you know they always say drunken words are sober thoughts well that's what he cried in my arms about for about 45 minutes and I was like, it's okay. Like, I promise that it's, it's over. I don't let that bother me anymore. I was like, we were children. We didn't know better. He was like, I know, but I, I just was so like horrible to you. And I was like, it's okay. So like, yeah, I mean, at least they apologized, you know, and at least they were able to acknowledge what they had done. But it's like, that's what happened to him later in life. You know, it still haunted him, even though it was something I had completely forgotten about. So, yeah. you, what goes around comes around, you know, either way. Yeah, you know, I know, I mean, we was talking about, I mean, we was talking about uh, high school and all that. I don't know if you noticed, like, the not junior year. I don't know if you noticed or remember me or not junior year. But I, I wasn't at school for, like, three weeks. See, I feel like I, I was in such a chaotic um, shift in my life at the time. Like, I had stopped dating Gray, and he got, you know, he dropped out of high school. And so, I was, like, devastated about that. And then he got shipped off to military, um, basically, like, boot camp. So, I was, like, yeah. so distraught about all of the things happening to me. And then I met Tate, and then I was just living a completely different life. So, to be honest, I do not remember anyone or anything about high school, honestly, towards those times, except for what was happening outside of school. It was, so like, I one of those know. things. I just remember little bits and pieces of, I guess, things in school. But, truly, I don't remember much at all. My junior year is when I got really into, like, drugs. Really? So, I didn't. I would have yeah. never known that. Yeah. And um, I actually OD'd Christmas Eve that year. Oh, my God. See, that's the type of stuff that, like, I had no idea of. But, I OD try to commit suicide. I try to OD by basically painkillers. You know what? And that's what I, I do remember going back to high school. I can remember that being something I was absolutely terrified of was the pain pills. Because Gray, 
you know, he would like say something about them or, you know, whatever else. And I knew he would tell me who had taken one. He's like, yep, he's on that. And he was telling me about all these people that were around us that were on drugs. And like, I was so scared of them. I was like, oh my gosh, like I'll never take something like that. So even when I got to be like prescribed on pain meds because I was, um, something was really like bad, wrong. I was really, really sick. I had some kind of like horrible tonsillitis. I don't even know what it was, but it was painful. So they prescribed me like the lowest dose of whatever, I guess, hydros. And I remember looking at my mom and being like, I can't take those. And she was like, why the hell not? And I was like, because what if I get addicted to them? And I was just like such a freak about it that she like was, she literally was like, Lauren, you are going to be fine. You're going to take this medicine. And I was like, oh my God. But that's how petrified I was because of the drugs. And that was exactly it. Like pain pills. Because I knew what could happen to me if that were to like happen, me get addicted or take something I wasn't supposed to take. Like I was just a freak about stuff. I was a little chicken. I still am a chicken. Like, it just blows my mind because I'm like, how do we even get our hands on stuff at that age? Yeah. But it's it's there. It's very much available. I got it all from the doctors. See? Oh, my goodness. And that's, that's another topic. Holy crap. Doctors just writing scripts. Yep, they did. Oh, I'm in pain. Okay, here you go. Here's you, here's you 30 days worth of Oxycontin. And what? That is mind-blowing. I did not know that. How did you, like, what happened afterwards? They were afraid for my life. I was basically on the third floor of the hospital as a junior in high school. So what's the third floor of the high, um, that's the what? Oh, 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 oh. Well, oh, see, Tristan, oh my god, do you see what I'm talking about? The psych ward. Oh, I haven't gotten there in my podcast yet, but shit hits the fan. And I also had my experience with that, too. But that'd be another, that's another day, because I've had a lot of experiences with that. Yeah, see, and that's something I definitely would love to hear about. So, <laughs> because my experience really impacted me. And I was just, I mean, it was a whole thing. So, I really wish that I could go and work in a psychiatric ward and I just want to know what the people there, like, I want to hear from them. And I genuinely want to know what's going on inside of their minds because I feel like there's been, I mean, I'm sure it's somewhere. Like, I've seen it in movies. I've seen it happen to, you know, select few people. But it's like, I feel like they don't treat you like you're human once you're there or admitted. Like, I don't know personally because I've never been admitted to one. But it's like, I just have that feeling that they don't look at you or respect you or even like consider you to be, you know, any way, shape or form somebody that they want to listen to. It's like they think that whatever's going on, obviously, you're crazy if you're here. So we don't really give a shit what you're having to say. We're just going to need you to do this, that, and another. Am I right? Like, how was your experience? Uh, It was my junior year. That was a scary experience. I was strapped to a bed, like, all my limbs. Oh, my God. Because they they said something about I was trying to rip needles out and this, that, and the other. I'm definitely afraid of needles. I hate needles. I I don't care. (laughs) I got a tattoo, and that was... 
I mean, that, that wasn't no experience with needle that I've had. <laughs> That's funny. But I hate needles. I used to be scared of them, but now it doesn't phase me. I'm trying to put needles out. I mean, but still. Yeah. But, uh. And that's not even the, I mean, that's just one suicidal experience for me, though. I mean, I've had a lot of them. Yeah, see, and I just feel like there's so many people struggling with just that, especially after the whole COVID epidemic. I mean, me and Jonathan, my first Strangers with a Story episode, we talked a lot about that because he had the same exact type of, you know, history. Like, he talked about his experience through all of that. And it's like, so it's so much more common than we are willing to acknowledge. Like, I feel like people don't want to talk about it, but it's, it's everywhere. And it's also in the places that you're not looking because majority of the people who are struggling with it aren't going to say a word about it Yeah. because they don't feel like they can, you know? And like you said, it's just... Oh, I we mean, before we got on the podcast about the, uh, you know, the, the suicide rates and all that, but, uh, exactly. I mean, crazy that 19, it was 47,511 recorded American people dead from suicide. That's the 10th most common death in the world or in the U S it's something that I feel like is so common now and it shouldn't be just left as if it's not common it's so many places and in every family there's at least someone struggling so I mean it's not like we can't all relate and admit that that is true and some people are ashamed of it I just feel like no one feels as if they can really tell someone because like you said you woke up in a psych ward like I feel like that's what they're afraid of you know, they don't want that to be the case and they don't want to be looked at weird or differently. So therefore, they're not going to ask for help. They're not going to tell anyone what's truly going on because they're afraid that someone's going to try to be power hungry and just throw them against their will into a place that is definitely not going to make things any better. And make them worse. Exactly. Yeah. Like people need a place that they can feel safe and comfortable talking about things and not feel like they're going to be strapped to a table against their will just because they've you know voiced their true feelings or emotions about how they have things going on in their head like that's just absolutely it's disgusting to me that people can't open up without feeling like they're going to be thrown you know, into a cage and locked away because, you know, they're a danger to themselves. But no, that's not it. They just need someone to understand that the shit going on in their mind is, it's mind boggling, you know, and they don't know how to address it or handle it or cope with it. Like they just simply want someone to listen, I feel like. And I'm just speaking from personal experience. Like, you just want someone to listen, someone to look at you and say, it's okay to not be okay, you know? And we'll do everything that we can to help you get past this little speed bump because that's all it is usually that sends people over the edge. But it's a buildup of speed bumps that eventually, you know, results in like a mountain (laughs) because you let that many 
things get suppressed until it's just like you boil over the top. I mean, how do you feel about it? I, I'm the same way. And I've, and I, I haven't really spoke a lot about a lot of the stuff that I do do, but I do I do advocate for, you know, the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention and all that. Yeah. And I've heard crazy stories, some crazy stories. I bet. I mean. Like, we've got a, what they, they call it, the uh, out of the darkness walk that they're going to be trying to do one here in Greenwood. And it's just a walk for uh, suicide prevention they've been trying to do for the whole year. I mean, my last, I'm not going to say my last attempted suicide, but my last big one, I was very lucky to be found. I was in, actually, I was in Nashville, Tennessee. And I, uh, I OD'd on, what was it, Oxys and Percocets. And um, if it hadn't been for this little old lady, I mean, she was in her 70s, that just happened to be coming down the road when I was laid out on the sidewalk, I wouldn't be here right now. When I woke up in the hospital there, they said that like any, a minute, minute later, I would have been dead. I was blue. My lips were purple. My face was blue. I mean, it's it's been hard. See, but I feel like I hope you know that, like, it's almost as if life is showing you, nope, sorry, no matter how many times you try, you're not meant to do this yet. It's not your time. And so you have more important things to do here. So it's like they're going to keep throwing you back into it's almost like when you reach a level in a game and then you die and you're like, oh shit, and you get sent back to level one and you have to do it all over again. (laughs) Yeah, so it's like, I feel like so many people don't realize that, yes, you are here for a reason and it's just a matter of someone like making you feel that, you know, not like you're just worthless or nobody is needing you because people do need you. The world needs you. But it's not something that people think about, and it's not something that when you're in a place like that, you're going to believe at all. It's yeah. like you're yeah. too and distraught. I've had, I've had a, it caused a lot of damage to my body from that because you know, I lost of oxygen. And, yeah. I mean, it's the doctors told me if, I, if it happened again, I probably won't survive. And that weighs in my head all the time. I'm like, no, no, no. I mean, I'm 18 months sober on the 4th of November. That is absolutely amazing. That is so good. That is a huge. Be very proud of yourself. Like that's hard. That's hard shit no, no, to uh, say. No. If you don't mind me asking, when you have found yourself in those places, what's going through your mind and what do you feel when it's like you get to that? Like what makes you feel like you shouldn't go on or you don't want to go on anymore basically for me it was, a lot of times it was like, nobody likes me nobody wants me around nobody cares about me nobody care if i'm here if i'm gone stuff oh like gosh. that okay well exactly what you just said is exactly what is happening to my little brother like word for word nobody likes him his teachers and i shit you not every single one of his teachers has called my mom saying nobody likes jay everyone complains how annoying he is they want me to move him across the room because he won't leave him alone he wants them to be his friend and he annoys them and his behavior is just too 
too much. We need to figure something out because, you know, obviously he needs to be medicated, this, that, and another. And I was like, oh, my God. Yeah, yep. I, mm, I can expect I've had that same experience. Yes, and it's so, it's so, oh, it just breaks my heart because, like, you know, like I told you on the phone earlier, like, me and my brother are very close, and his past goes into, you know, from being dropped off on my doorstep when he was not even two years old. He was, like, 18 months old and a baby still wearing diapers. He was left there with nothing, not even a clean diaper to change him into. And, you know, from that, going into the parents trying to come back into his life and then abandoning him once again, and then my parents getting a divorce. I mean, it's just one thing after another. It's like trauma after trauma after trauma of being abandoned. And that's not even for one of my brothers. That's for both of them. Because my other brother's adopted. And I know that he has a lot of anger towards the things that have happened in his life. Which I really yeah, hope I to bring him on the podcast one day. Like, it's just... Those are the types of things. And so the teachers are literally sitting there thinking, he's just an annoying kid that doesn't know how to behave. But no, that isn't the case. He's so starved for attention and acceptance. He is craving someone to say, Jay, you're my best friend. But nobody does that. Everyone tells him, get the hell out of here. Get away from me. You're annoying. Leave me alone. And so, like, honest to God, it's like when I'm around, he is even worse because like he wants you know everyone to like see that me and him are like besties and so he acts even worse just to show off because he almost knows that I'll defend him and so it's really bad so like you know when I'm around it's apparently 10 times worse my mom said but that's not even it like it's he's doing this at school it's one thing to act out at home at that age because you know that's just being a kid you're gonna be disrespectful and you know cop an attitude with your parents but that's not even the problem it's at school he is begging for people to like him and I remember one time he had this app on his phone it was kind of like chat roulette in a way but for people that you knew yeah And so he was with me at my grandparents' house, and he was like, I'm going to do this. And it was a bunch of girls that ended up being on the other end on the chat. And as soon as they saw it was Jay, they just start cussing him out, telling him how much of a freak he is. And they had no idea I was sitting right there next to him. And so I grabbed his phone, and I looked at him, and I said, you guys have such colorful vocabulary. Hi, how are y'all doing? And they all went, oh my God, and hung up. Because, I mean, obviously it was me, his sister, and they were like, oh my God, she's going to tell our moms. Like, I don't know what they thought, but in either way, <laughs> I, was, I was so appalled. I was like, why in the world are they acting like that I was like I've never heard words like that come out of a little girl's mouth even I mean they were saying horrible stuff and I was just like and it was immediate there was no reason for it Jay just simply was on the other end of the line and they popped up and saw that it was him and they were like oh my god and just immediately laid into him with these horrible 
comment. And I'm like, the brat stalls. Yeah, like, I mean, just hateful. So ugly. Like, if that's just one thing that I happened to see because he was spending the night with me at my grandparents' house, like, I can't imagine what happens outside of what I know. And it's like, what do, what do we do? Like, what do we do about this? Because it's not like I can go change the way these kids are acting towards him or help him make friends because he's got to, you know, figure out who is worth being a friend to him in the first place. But it's like, what do we do about this? <laughs> because I know it's not just happening to Jay. I know it's got to be other kids too. But that is where it starts. And then you grow up and you get older and like you said, we get to the point where we've got things right at our fingertips, like drugs. And instead of begging for attention, you just want to disappear and numb it so that you don't care anymore, right? Yep. It's so I bad. I want to touch on that. Well, you know, he's talking about how they had to move, move him to the other side of the room and that and the other. I was at Hodges Elementary, and I remember nobody liking me, nobody wanting to be around me, and she moved me all the way to the front of the classroom in front of the board where you couldn't even see the board to do your work. Oh, my goodness. Nobody wanted to be around me. See, and that's another thing. I think that the way that we do teach these kids and the way that we choose to discipline our class as a teacher. Not that I plan on being a teacher by any means, but I know for a fact, like I never really spent time around kids until Jeannie leaving us like she did. She has three boys and I got to meet them all and they are all so very different but I'd never really gotten to spend time with kids like that like I just wasn't ever around children all of her children are so different and they all have their little you know quirks and their mannerisms and the little things that they each do and it was like you could see that they were all so beautiful in their own way but yet they weren't able to even be in public school of how much they were bullied. I just saw how much of a difference it made in the way I responded to those kids, the way I engaged with them. And to me, their behavior changed entirely just by me doing a certain thing to parent them in a way. So if I was babysitting them, monitor what they were doing, and it was about how I communicated with them, and that made such a difference. So, I mean, I feel like there are plenty of horrible teachers out there. You know, and uh, it, 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 I hate to say this, and I'm, I mean, it, it is truth is truth, but, uh, you know, it starts at home. It's the parents. It does. It does start at home, and I totally entirely agree with that my grand i call them my grandparents that's what they are they raised me from the age of a, age of nine years old up, up until i was 18 but uh i mean i was taught i'll give a shirt off my back before i had anything and i still live to that and that's one of my biggest issues i give you everything i got and i won't have nothing yeah i can i can relate with that because that's how my dad was my dad would help anyone and everyone and Unfortunately, me adopting that mentality, I was taken advantage of a lot at a certain point in my life too. But I also had to learn the ability to discern who is really taking advantage of me versus who really genuinely needs it. You know what I mean? Like I had yeah. to discern who was blowing smoke up my ass versus someone who genuinely was coming to me because they 
didn't have any other choice or options. That's pretty difficult, but I do say that like I found the most significant growth to be better about that and kind of like get a hold on that mentality and not get walked all over by doing what I do now with energetic readings and things like that. Like it was that that really helped me to see and feel my energy and others. You know, I could walk into a room and tell the vibration go up or down. Have you ever walked into somewhere and you're like, oh, bad vibes are here. Like, I gotta leave. I'm like not comfortable here. You know, I have walked into churches. Oh, God. Yeah, churches are almost the absolute worst places for that. There's so many different, I guess, perspectives on the matter, but churches are one of the biggest places full of negative energy because a lot of the times the people that insist that you go and it has to be done, it's done because if we go to church today, that means we did a good deed and that's all we had to do. But that's not it. You go to church to go home and have received and benefited from the message that was being taught in that sermon. If you go to church and you don't listen, you're on your phone the whole time, you don't get a single ounce of what that preacher is saying to you, then why are you even there? And that's what I feel like there's so much of, is there's people who have been like clumped into this class of people that think if we go to church, that means that we're good people. No, absolutely not. Y'all are just ignorant, truly. You have to go home. It's not a Sunday, one day thing. It is an everyday, all day act of living that life. It is not just a hour long sermon and you're done. You know, you have to take that home with you and apply it to your life and then live that life. You know, if you're going to pretend that you're so holy, roly Christian, then you best be acting just like a holy roly Christian 24-7. And I'm not saying that people don't make mistakes, but I do know that those are the first, you know, individuals that will point their finger at you and say, you need church. That, that's not, that is not it. You have a relationship with God if you want to. I don't, you know, decipher, judge, whatever it is that people believe, feel, that is them and that is their choice and just life path to decide, you know, like, I don't care. That's up to you. But I do feel that we all have a connection to the divine. I truly do because everyone just doesn't realize that was something that I feel like Jonathan and I talked about at the very end of that episode is he was saying how he didn't feel like he had a connection just to God and he could never find that. And I said, it's because of the way people stereotype it to be that you have to be all of these things that people feel that they don't have that with God because they can't do those things. And I'm like, that's not it. Everyone's relationship with God is their own. You have to find what fuels you in that way and know that the things that make you feel good, the things that make you feel 
just utterly weightless, you know, like it is that that God is giving to you. And when you do those things, think of it as your, you know, church. And that can be your connection to God. Like it doesn't have to be black and white in front of you, you know, and you know all the things about the Bible. It doesn't have to be all of those things. All it has to be is a feeling, I think. I mean, to me, that's what it was, is it was this feeling that I'd never felt before. I don't really, I didn't really want to get on the church thing, but. Uh, no, I know. Was, we're, I'm telling you, we're just like, I told you I wanted to let this conversation just run its course and see where it took us. But I know I hate that topic too, because it is so controversial. But at the same time, I'm like, you know, it's, it's there. It is true that that's the worst possible places sometimes, you know, it's not always a sanctuary of good people. Yeah. And I have a tattoo on my arm, you know, I have a cross and uh, I ain't gonna name the church, but I walked to the, I walked up to the door of the church and one of the, the deacons, I don't know what you call them, but opened the door or whatever. He saw the tip of the bottom of my tattoo and he said, well, you got to cover that up if you want to come in here. Wow. See, and that's, I that's said, exactly, that I is said, the best I'll example. I'll find another church to go to. Right. That is the best example of what I was just saying. That is what I'm talking about is you shouldn't feel like you have to go and hide who you truly are to talk to God because that's not the case. God sees everything, right? You know, if that's the way you want to be, God's also he knew seeing what you. He going to do thousands of years before he did it. Exactly. And... It's, it is, it is such a long, you know, day long, year long discussion. It truly is. But it does upset me because I know that there are families. I mean, I'll go ahead and say my family was that family rushing around the house, trying to get ready to rush out the door to get to church on time. And everyone's screaming and fighting at each other. My mom's like, get in the car. We're going to be late. Da, 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 da. Everyone's yeah. cussing each other out on the way to get to church. And then we hop out of the car, walk through those doors and everybody shuts their mouth and smiles as if we have been the most, you know, Betty Crocker family you've ever seen. And yeah. it's a facade. Yeah. It's a facade. We were faking. You know, for the long, longest time, I didn't go to church. So I became an adult because I, when I grew up, I was forced to go to church. Yeah, and I find that that's a lot of where it, it begins. You know, people not wanting to be religious as if they're forced into it when they're children. Yep. I've heard a lot of people say that. Yeah, and I mean, it's... And, I mean... I don't want to seem as if I hate church. I don't. Like, I love church. If I'm able to go and it's a church that I genuinely like the preacher I'm listening to, I would love to go. I would go more days than one if I could. You know, I would be there. But it's not somewhere that I feel like you should think you have to go in order to get your life on track with God. That. That doesn't love, have to be the I way it is. I love my church. I love New Covenant. I haven't been able to go in about three weeks, but I, I love my church. <laughs> yeah, see, and that's the thing. Like, 
you you choose where is best for you and I agree I do love New Covenant too because we talked about that too the other night but you have to find the place that is best fit for you and sometimes that is going to be extremely opposite of the person you know you're sitting next to it's just you have to find your place and you should never be forced to think that one way is better than the other like you have to go your own way literally i think that's what the next episode of celestial circus is going to be titled (laughs) is you gotta go your own way (laughs) seriously yeah we're so warped in the mind to think that we have to follow the leader and i'll bring that right back to high school that's how i felt i was when i was in high school because I'm a completely different person now, but when I think back to high school, I don't remember really doing much of anything in school, at least, because outside of school, you know, I did my own thing. I rode my horses. I did things that I liked, but in school, I I was like sitting pretty. I didn't say a word. I followed, <laughs> I followed the leader. I really did. I didn't want issues. I didn't want a problem. I didn't want to be liked, disliked. I didn't care. I just wanted to have peace in high school because I hated school, truly. It was just not my thing. Extracurricular stuff, I loved it, but I hated school. And so, in saying that, I just kept my mouth shut. I mean, in college, I can say it was a completely different change for me because in high school, I did know people. We all grew up together. We were in school together. So, yeah, I did have friends. And majority of the time, we were all in the same classes together. But when I got to college, I didn't really know anyone in my classes. And I did not care to. I did not talk to a single soul on campus. And everyone thought that I was, like, so crazy for doing that. And they were like, Lauren, how do you not know them? Lauren, how do you not talk to so-and-so? They're right there in your class. And I'm like, honestly... I don't know. I just hate school. I'm trying to get in and get out. Like, I don't want to be there any longer than I have to. So I don't talk to anybody. I go sit in my desk and I leave. Like, it just wasn't something that I was social in doing. I wanted to be social. Don't get me wrong. Like, I wanted to have friends in my classes because I was totally isolated. Like, there would be cliques of people, you know, like, majority of the things like that were sports related. You know, you clicked up with the people you were in a team with. And then there was me who they all called a NARP, I think it was, which is a non-athletic random person, which that was what I was pretty much was a NARP. Because when I stopped cheering and I stopped riding for the equestrian team, even when I was on those teams, I still didn't talk to people. I did go to practice and talk to my team and whatnot, but I didn't associate with them. And I don't know what it was because I tried so hard to make friends and for people to want to be my friend too. You know, I didn't know what I was doing wrong, but people were so mean to me. That is the main reason I quit the equestrian team because I was literally charged at in the barn of Lander by a girl who, granted, did figure out the reality of a situation and apologized to me profusely and was so embarrassed about what had happened. But when she thought something that was not true and was told to her to simply cover up what they had truly done, which was like her best friend at the time, they blamed it on me, I guess, for whatever reason. And so everyone on that team 
believed this girl and then targeted me and hated me, even the coach. It was like sickening and it broke my heart because I love riding horses. I wanted to be on that team, but the way I was treated was not worth it. And so I had to quit. And I was like, you know what? This isn't worth it. Y'all are so close-minded and y'all have no idea what truly is going on around here or between any of the people on this team. I was like, y'all are all wearing a mask. None of y'all are real. All of y'all are liars. And it was sad. It was really sad. And I'm not saying all of them were, but at the time, that's what I was feeling. I wanted to like punch all of them in the head. I was just so mad. I was like, I don't get it. Like, what have I done to these people to make them treat me that way? Like, I know that's everywhere. I know that doesn't just happen to one person. Like, I know that that shit happens more and more and more. But it was like the coach at the time was almost like just advocating for it. She was like part of the gossip with those other older teammates. And I didn't get it. I truly did not get it. And I was just like, how are you an adult? How are you a coach at a university, yet you're allowing your students and your teammates, your team in its full, you know, capacity to treat people that way. Like, how? How are you able to have a job like this? I don't get it. Yeah. And that's, once again, going right back into the education system. Who we are, you know, learning from, those people really, really need to be the right people. It makes the biggest difference. It truly, really does. It does, and it's... Shoot, I can go to... I can hit you with the military. I've had people there that... They were the same way. One person didn't like you, so nobody liked you. Right. So, that's what I mean. Like, it's not just me that it happened to. I know it's everywhere, and that's the scary thing. The scary thing for thinking about it now is those are the people that are supposed to be backing me if I'm out, if we're out in the war. Right. They don't like you. Oh, my God. I didn't even think about it like that. Yeah, exactly. Holy shit. I mean, these are supposed to be like my battle buddies. They're supposed to be like, have your back, and you have their back. (laughs) Yeah, like, we save your life, you save ours. Like, that is your life. You know, you're putting in their hands to have your back and look out and be your backup. Like, that's terrifying to think that someone could potentially let you die because they didn't like you. Yeah. And I'm sure that there are people like that, and that's terrifying. That is absolutely terrifying. You know, I have now living here, actually, you know, near a military base. It's like I've met a lot of people that are associated with the military. And it is, it's really interesting to see the way that they feel when they come home. It is a lot. It's really, like, I don't even, I don't even have the words for it. I honestly don't, but it's like. it's hard to describe stuff like that. Yes. And I'm like, these people need They need a place to be safe and feel like it is not their fault to feel all the things that they are feeling after coming home. They need to feel like they are not broken, that just because of what they saw, that they need someone to be able to relay that information to and feel like they can talk about it and not just feel as if they have to pretend it never happened. Because I have friends that I know that is the case with. And it's it's heartbreaking because they have literally such bad anxiety that they can't even go work in public places because of it. And it's like, what 
in the world is like, especially our government, like the way that we treat our veterans too. I noticed that so many homeless um, people that you'll find are retired veterans and there is nothing in place to help them. There's nothing that I could find there to make sure that these people who went out and defended us and protected us, you know, kept us safe, are out there living on the streets begging for food and water and y'all aren't going to do anything about it? Nope. People look at those people on the side of the road. I've had so many people in the car with me say shit like this and it makes me mad and I'm like, what are you doing? But it's like they see someone on the side of the road who's homeless and they immediately are like, oh, well, they did it to themselves. And I'm like, that's not always the case. It's not. It is not. When are we all as a society going to wake up and be able to look at people as human beings and not as a stereotype that you have lumped them into when you do not know a single thing about that person? When are we going to wake up from that? Yeah. Homelessness and all that. Thinking about the suicide rate. Oh my God, yes. Since 9-11, right? Mm-hmm. There's been over 30,000 suicides between pers- active duty personnel and veterans. That doesn't even compare to only the only 7,000, little over 7,000 soldiers that died in those 20 years during the war. I mean, me and you both share a person that we know, Gray. That's it. That's what I'm talking about is people don't, they don't realize the effect that they have on a person by treating them the way that they do because they're being mindless. I don't know what exactly was going through Gray's mind, but I wish so much. And he's not even the only one. Like, I have several people that I know of. Like, I just lost one of my very best friends to suicide, you know, last September. And it's like, part of me thinks, like, should I work for a suicide hotline? But then I know how empathic I am, and I'm like, I absorb people's energy pretty heavily like you know if I'm you know talking to a person and they're telling me things that are really deep and emotional I absorb their emotions and I feel it too and it's like I don't know if I could do that every day working in a job like that but I do know that there are people who can and that's for them to do but it's like we need something other than that like people just need a safe place to feel Like, they can be themselves. This is actually something that I genuinely really want to do, and I want to start a nonprofit organization. (laughs) I'll have to tell you about it later because I don't want to elaborate on it on this episode, but I want to start a nonprofit because I have an idea that I feel like would be incredible for people to have access to. I really do. And it's not for any one type of person. It is for every single person and every single issue that we may carry with us and feel that we have. It's for any and everybody. And it's not just going to be a place for, you know, people to lump you into a stereotype of, oh, like a psych ward, they're crazy. Or, oh, they're, um, you know, drug addict. Whatever you want to say about people, like, don't, don't do that. Like, why? Like, they're just... A human being and I don't feel like people take the time anymore to really sit and look at people as just that they look at them and they immediately form judgment and we should not do that that is why 
people today feel as if they can't be themselves because they don't want to look a certain way for people to think that they're a certain way. You know, they don't act as if they want to because of that one reason is they know they're going to be judged or stereotyped. Anybody should be able to be themselves in their fullest and not have to pretend that there's something just because they know that everyone's going to point fingers at them and make them into a label of some kind. That's, uh, I understand that too. Cause you know, I stay at a rehab center and I tell people about that. And, oh, so you, you, you're just no good because you can't, you can't get your life on track cause you're too hooked on drugs and that and the other. People say that. Yeah. See? And I'm like, man, I haven't done a drug in 18 months. Oh, that's not true. You're just lying. <laughs> that is the exact type of thing I'm talking about. Honestly, like, it blows my mind. It baffles me to think that somebody could have the audacity. Screenshot the messages that I have. I'm not going to because I don't want to give names out. I would would send them to you, but... (laughs) See, and that's the thing is, like, I've had my share of that same exact thing told to me, but in a different sense. Like, for me, it was more so... I got stereotyped and pointed fingers at because of what I started to do with my readings. Nobody understood what it was that I was doing. All they saw was my cards in my hand and they immediately were like, oh, I've heard of tarot cards. Oh my God, she's a witch. Oh my God, she's evil. She's of darkness. She's with Satan. And I'm like, what? No. And like, that was coming from the closest people to me in my life and I was just cast out because they formed judgment about something in my life that they knew nothing about and now you know it's like they all pretend that it hasn't happened but I'm like you guys what you have to realize is like I will always love you and I will always forgive you but you need to really take the time to see how your words and actions affect people, the ways that are really detrimental to their health and their life and their well-being, because it took a huge toll on me when it started to happen. I, I did my best to like not let it affect me, but there were times when it really, really hurt. And it really, really got dark for me. And I was like, I don't even know what to do. Like, I feel like I love this new part of myself that I have found and, you know, share with others. But then I didn't want people to think bad of me in that way. And I knew that a lot, like almost everyone that seemed like at the time, looked at me and told me that what I was doing was bad. Bad, bad, bad. And I knew that it was nothing of that. I knew it was the complete opposite, if anything. It was a beautiful thing. It was something that I feel could benefit everyone if they would just give it a chance and open their mind to understand it first and then decide this isn't for me or this is something I'll try. You know what I'm saying? But it was never that that happened to me at first. It was immediate judgment just because of a stereotypical label that was placed on the deck of cards I had in my hands. They didn't even hear the words coming out of my mouth. That's all they saw. And so therefore, I was literally stamped on the forehead as 
you know, Satan worshiper. <laughs> and yeah. it sucked because I knew that I was nothing of the sort. I knew that I was the furthest from it, actually. I was like, my faith with God has gotten so much stronger, actually. Like, this has been something that has brought mine and God's relationship into a whole new level and a whole new place that was so amazing. And I felt closer to God than I ever had in my life. But yet, that still wasn't the way people saw me. It didn't matter what I said because they didn't listen. It was just what they saw. And I was stereotyped. So I know that that goes for a lot of different things too. Like that's just for me. But like, you know, like you said, because you live in a rehab, they look at you and think, oh, so you're no good. You can't get your shit together. That's why you're living here. But that isn't it at all. I mean, no, it's none of their business. Together, that's why I'm here. <laughs> like, exactly, exactly. But they, there's so many people I feel like today that don't actually take the second to be mindful of their words or thoughts even. They just jump to whatever kind of conclusion they can form and that's it. They form judgment and it's not fair. It's really not fair because then the people that it's being placed on suffer and they're already trying so hard, but yet they suffer because yeah. that person was mindless in their words and their actions towards them. And that's where suicide comes in also. Big part, yeah. Huge part. When you first started doing your readings and stuff, mm -hmm. when, I, when I saw your live pop on my Facebook page, the first time I went into your live, I was like, she does this stuff? I didn't think she ever did this kind of stuff. Exactly. That's what everyone did. And I was like, it's fine. I know people are going to be like, what the heck is she doing? She's never gone live before. And so yeah. I had all eyes on me, literally. Uh, let me give it a shot. Let me see. <laughs> right. And that's all it takes usually is for someone to just give me five seconds to talk to them. And then I kind of change their perception of what it is and what it's like that I do. And then I, I mean, I'll go ahead and say this too. People were afraid to comment on my lives because they didn't want to be seen associating with what I was doing. So therefore, they yep. would direct message me privately because they didn't want people to know that they were interested in it. And that's yeah. totally okay. Like, if that's what you want, that is fine with me. I do not care. that I respect that. But that's really upsetting to know that people have to feel like that because of a stereotype people don't feel comfortable making decisions for their life because they're so worried about what other people are going to say about it think about it and do about it you know because sometimes people are abusive and there are certain situations i'm sure out there where a person cannot make a decision for themselves based on their fear of what whoever is watching them is going to do to them if they make the wrong choice. I mean, let's take Britney Spears, for example. Let me just add that I watched that oh, documentary Lord, the other day. Yeah. I watched I that, that documentary. documentary. <laughs> that is the perfect example right there. That made me, so, I cried. I was watching that documentary and I cried and I was like, that is so upsetting to know that she had to suffer for that long. And I hope to God that there has been something done about it. But she literally tried everything in her power to cry for help and nobody did a damn thing because money powered over decency and morals.
she got shitted on so hard and that is like unimaginable she could not even drive her car without having to have someone say Brittany can go drive her car now that is so crazy I was like this is this is nuts like I I understood the like whole situation and I could relate to it in ways but like you know, there's that, there's that example right there, right in front of our faces. And thank God, you know, poor Brittany, she was on TikTok putting messages of help, SOS, and somebody found, you know, her messages, you know, would zoom in or like look into it just enough to be able to see that she was crying for help. And luckily that was able to be seen eventually but I feel like it took a while because even me I never knew much about what was going on I didn't have Britney Spears on my stuff you know I didn't have a clue now watching that documentary I do remember it being said I remember seeing things about people saying Britney's crying for help we've all got to do something we have to help Britney and I remember that but I never knew anything other than you know just seemed like she was in a place that needed to be saved like we need to go save her from this and that is you know that's just one person imagine how many other people feel like she does or are in situations that are very similar maybe not exactly to that extent because I can't remember what it was called what was it called like her contract thing that was with her dad oh my gosh I know I it was like a word and I like Oh, it was a weird thing, but hold on. I know it started with like a C, didn't it? But anyways, whatever that thing was that she and her dad were tied into, it was fucked up. That is where you can see power and money control the world right then and there. Like if you've got money, you've got power, you can control and dictate anybody and anyone you want. And that's terrifying to think that we live in a world that works like that. But that is the case in a lot of senses, you know, I don't want to say that is the reality of everything, but I mean, it is in a lot of things. Conservative shit. Yeah, that's it. Contract with a dad. Mm-hmm. It was all because he could pay it off. And it was the money she was making for him. That's what was so mind-blowing, is that it was her money. And I'm like, how does a person get away with this? But it's like, if he can get away with it, and he's with Britney Spears, I mean, she was like my childhood idol. Um, <laughs> if yeah. that can happen to Britney Spears, then you know damn right it's happening to people like us, who are just yeah. basic, normal, living people. You know, we don't, we're not known or well-known, we're not famous, viral, nothing. So, That's it's like... crazy. She was a Hollywood star. Right. And she couldn't even get the help she needed. And she tried her hardest to tell people what was happening. And no one would believe her or no one cared enough to listen. Think about all the people who aren't seen that are living in that same way. Maybe they don't have a conservatorship or whatever it was called. But, you know, it's the same types of things. They're being controlled and... You know, it's by people who feel power in being able to control someone. A lot of that is narcissism, and it's it's everywhere. If you haven't studied psychology, then you really don't understand why you're the way you are. And if you're in a situation like that, you would probably blame yourself for 
everything because that person tells you, you know, you're this and you're that and you're not this and you can't do that. And then you believe them. And it's like a psychological mind fuck. I can't even begin to describe how many avenues there are of psychological trauma that can happen and be embedded into a person without them even knowing it. Because it happened to me. I had no idea. I had limiting beliefs about myself. I had no idea that I had all these different things happening in my head, unconsciously happening, so like subconscious, even though I had no idea why I felt the things that I felt, it was still there. And so therefore, I would believe the person standing in front of me who seemed like a power figure telling me, you're this, you're that. And I mean, I just, I felt like, well, I guess they know. So I guess I better believe them. And I almost, almost, you know, fell so deep in that I was willing to almost live the rest of my life in a way that I didn't want, but other people told me to. Like I said, the way I was in high school, I was follow the leader. I almost lived a whole lifetime of that. But luckily, some way, shape or form, I was able to wake up and see that that's not who I am. And I don't have to listen to you. I don't have to do what you tell me to do. I'm me and I'm happy with who I am. So if you don't want this, then I don't have to be in your life anymore. And I begin to change and I begin checking, you know, in with myself every day and reflecting and finding all these different parts of myself that I didn't even realize were there. So it's like, that's what I want to offer to people. I want to offer them the ability to see and feel the best and reach their highest potential because they are able to genuinely understand themselves and then in turn be themselves in their fullest and not feel like they have to hide from people because of what someone might think about them. We don't need to live like that. We're not meant to live like that. Now we're living, everybody's living in fear. Yeah. Right. And that's, you know, that's taking a toll. That's a whole nother conversation. I mean, there's just so many things, but I just feel like it needs to be normalized. We need to normalize the abnormal because it needs to be said. It needs to be talked about. It needs to be heard by people that genuinely need to know they're not alone because it's scary. It's scary to be in that place and feel like you are so alone and what is wrong with me? Why am I the only one who feels like this? But you're not. But that's why I've made this podcast is because I want to show people you're not alone. And we're all in this together, whether we want to think so, believe it or not. Like, we are all connected. Like, literally the ring I'm wearing, my friend bought it for me um, as a going away gift when I moved to Colorado. And it is um, a ring that is like got a little swirl and then a diamond in the middle. And I asked the lady about it and she said that it was, I want to say, infinitely connected or all things connected line. And I was like, oh my goodness, I love that. I was like, awesome. Because we are, we truly are. Like every single one of us are in the exact same boat. Whether we want to think we're better than someone or not, you are not. We are all on the same playing field. So we need to act like it. We need to treat others like that. You know, we're a team. We're not 
enemies. We're not rivals. You know, we're not Greenwood High and Emerald. <laughs> we're we're just human beings trying to figure out this game of life. We're not playing against each other, but I feel like so many times there we are. Yeah, we are. And it's that that makes life so much harder than it has to be and takes away the beauty of what there could be in everything, but we make it less than because of the way we act and think and decide to do. We need to stop and think, is what I'm doing what I myself would be okay with if the other person was thinking, feeling, saying those things about me? You know, treat others the way you want to be treated. It's as simple as that. But it's more than that, too. Like, we need to be able to see people and see them truly, you know, not judge them, not form assumptions, you know, things like that. Because that right there makes me madder than I can't even think of in an analogy. But it's everywhere. And it's really bad, I guess, you know, I can say within, like, the younger groups of girls I know guys I don't really know if they're that bad about gossip but girls gossip like it's their damn job and they're mean and I just I used to not think about it in high school you know if someone was around me gossiping I didn't care I just sat there and listened like I was right there in the conversation believing and thinking everything they were and who knows if I was I probably was I don't really even know who I was in high school like I think back and I'm like who was that person because I don't remember her I'm so far from who that was because I've changed and evolved through so much since then It's like, I can't even remember who I was, but I know that now just being, okay, here's an example, being at a job in Greenwood at a um, golf course, um, I'm standing in the middle of our front dining room, whatever, it was like the bar area, and it was the clubhouse, and this lady comes in, because we were membership only, and this lady walks in, and she's got this huge box of stuff in her hands, And it's full of all these decorations, I want to say, for St. Patty's Day it was. And um, she walks in, and she's really, really high energy. Like, she was one of those women that's like, oh, my goodness, how are you today? She was one of those people. And, yeah, so she walks in, and she has this huge box, and I was running around checking on my tables. Well, by the time I came back, to see what this lady was doing because I was genuinely interested. I'm like, what is this lady doing and what is in her box? I want to see. I come back and she had already gone back out to her car, but the rest of the girls that I was working with at the time were standing in a clump and they had been there longer than I, so they knew who she was already. And they're sitting there all huddled up. Oh my God, did you see her hair? She is so frizzy and ugly. And did you see what she was wearing? Look at her damn shoes. I hate that lady. She gets on my nerves. And I was like, wait a minute. What are y'all talking about? I was literally just about to ask who she was because she seemed like such a sweetheart. And they say, oh my God, well, she's one of the members and she volunteers to decorate and do this and that and another. And she drives us crazy. And the lady comes back in and I just sit there and I'm like, well, that was hateful, but okay. And so I just don't say anything. I genuinely just walk away. And then I go and I talk to that lady once I find her again. And she was literally the sweetest woman 
in the world with the kindness and her heart to come and decorate our freaking work, our clubhouse, out of the goodness of her heart, not because she was getting paid, not because she was, you know, getting anything out of it. She just genuinely enjoyed decorating and doing that and offering her skills of hoarding all of this St. Patrick stuff. <laughs> so yeah. it was like, I couldn't believe that those girls were sitting there ripping her apart. And this is like a lady who is someone who could be her, our grandmother. Like she was a little old lady. And just because she was bubbly and liked to talk, they all ripped her apart and was so mean. And I was just like, that is just hateful. But that is literally everywhere you go. It shouldn't be that way. It really shouldn't. You know, we all need to see that it doesn't need to be that way. And we need to be better people. We need to take a second and step back and see the type of person. And the episode that I recorded today, actually, my bonus episode, I talk about just that. The voice in our heads and, you know, also, I guess if you're sitting there chatting and gossiping with people that you know, you know, you just sit there and talk about things about other people because you yourself have nothing interesting in your life. So, therefore, you choose to rip apart the lives of others around you. And I just want to change that. I want people to see that it doesn't have to be like that. If you feel that you want something more for your life and you feel the need to talk about, think about, worry about other people's lives, then let me show you that there's more out there for you than looking at other people's lives and ripping them apart for something that they're doing just because you don't have anything better to do. Yeah. And I just feel like it's not made known enough to just be a decent human being. It's not that hard, but we do have to put forth the effort to change the way we think and we have to change the way that we choose to act and be because literally it doesn't matter if that lady heard them or not it's still the simple fact of being that nasty for no reason like why yeah and i've noticed that a lot too with different places i've worked i worked at a golf course in greenwood too i did uh the grass cutting Mm -hmm. and they I was there with a bunch of guys, and they just did not like the Hispanics. See? And it's like, why, though? Just because they're not the same ethnicity as you? Like, what? Yeah. That is ridiculous. You know, like, they were trash. That's disgusting. And that's the thing, is, like, the idea I have for this nonprofit organization that I really genuinely want to start, it's going to be a place that anyone and everyone can feel acceptance and it will not be a place of segregation i want it to be a place that people can feel love and acceptance and feel understood and feel seen like i just want people to see that like you don't have to do this alone and yes there are parts of life that i feel like we're meant to be alone and it's like we just have to realize that We'll find where we're meant to be and who we're meant to be with if we ourselves can take the time to do it first for us and for ourselves. Your life will fall into this alignment that brings you into 
the range of all the same like-minded people. You know, what you project, you also attract back to you. And it's as simple as that, but it's also pretty, you know, hard to teach yourself that this is possible because I had no idea. (laughs) You know, you just don't think that way. Stop and smell the roses, you know what I mean? Yep, I do. And I'm sitting here thinking about, you know, we talk about, you know, it's been 10 years. And we got our reunion coming up at some point, whenever they do it. But uh, I'm thinking, like, man, what are these people going to think of me now? You know, is it going to be the same reaction to how they acted when I was there before or what, you know? I honestly, I can't seem to gather the thought process that someone would truly be that mean to you in this day and age at our level of maturity that we should be at and go to a reunion and treat you ugly like that like I would be pissed if I saw it I don't even know if I could keep my mouth shut I would be like excuse me (laughs) but it's like I feel like we've all changed we've all evolved through different things in our lives individually and Maybe there's people that haven't changed at all. Who knows? Yeah. But I I would hope that those people at least have a reason for why they are exactly the same and then are willing to change if need be. I mean, I don't know. It's a a really complex idea. I I know I was at Grace Funeral. A couple of the people that we were in high school was were still the same person at that funeral towards me. That's really sad to see, especially at a funeral. Especially at a funeral. You yeah. know? I was, I was at the mood of where I wanted to say something to him right then and there, and I didn't. Well, I you know what? Like, and that is, that is because you are a good person. And silence is the best answer in a lot of senses because they want a reaction. They want yeah. you to react and get mad and they want to laugh at that. They want to take that and use it to their advantage. But if you just give them nothing in return, it's like they don't have any reason to be ugly anymore. And it's like they almost would feel stupid because why did I just do that again? Because he didn't seem to care. And it makes them feel stupid for treating you yeah. such a way without you giving them any ammunition back. Yeah, I just got in my little little beat up truck and drove on home. <laughs> That's the thing. Is I feel like we need to be the advocates for change. We really do. We need to put our voice out there. And who cares if anyone listens? We just had yeah. a great conversation, I feel like, you know, and... We voiced our feelings and how we think about things. And if anyone wants to listen to us, great, they can. But if not, then we still are able to get, you know, what we got out of it. (laughs) And that's all that matters, you know, to see change. You have to be the change. So, yeah, I really genuinely appreciate you being here and doing this with me. Um, I hate that Jeannie couldn't participate but in yeah. in conclusion, would you like for me to give you a little brief reading? Or is there something that you would want me to do for you just before we go? Because I kind of do want to start incorporating that into my podcast. Well, you can do a reading if you would like. To collect ourselves after this long and controversial type discussion. <laughs> Because, Lord, it got me heated at some parts. Oh, my goodness. I found myself no. getting louder and more outraged. Yeah, definitely the Britney so good. Dude, that really was bad. That documentary broke my heart. Okay. So, 
I just closed my eyes and tried to, you know, see with my third eye what I could see for you. And right now as I'm talking, it's also 10-10. So that being a synchronicity because I've been seeing that a lot lately. Um, I'll elaborate on that in just a moment. But I saw an umbrella <laughs> in my mind's eye. I was like, an umbrella? That's interesting. So I, you know, know that different symbols have spiritual meanings and, you know, different symbolism means different things and whatnot. But that's how I work with spirit. That's what they do. They work off of my frame of reference and they show me symbols. They might show me letters or songs. Like songs are a big thing in numbers. So I work a lot with that type of thing, but each thing translates to a message of some sort. So what the umbrella usually symbolizes the canopy of the heavens. It represents the shelter and the protection. So it is often an emblem of power and dignity. Interesting, right? Very. Right? That's so cool. I was like an umbrella. Like when I saw it, I was like, what? And it was like one of those ones that you would see um, like a child's toy kind of like shaped as. So it was like very distinct little underneath little loops. It was the one, okay, you have, if you've watched Squid Game or whatever, you know the umbrella that they have to carve into that little cookie thing? That's what I was thinking about. That is I've actually had those cookies. Really? I've never, I didn't know what they were doing. But that's exactly what I saw was that kind of umbrella in my head. So I was like, that's very weird and interesting. I've never seen that before. Like, literally, I've never seen that before. <laughs> and so what it says is like an umbrella is designed to protect you from the rain, so to speak. So nothing can cause bad hair days or prevent you from getting soaking wet like an umbrella can protect you. And it says it's designed to be there to represent the protection that you have it's there showing you that you are always protected and, you know, you live in a life that is full of power and dignity and you should know that your shelter is heaven. You know, your angels are always around you. I feel like that's what it is, like kind of showing to you, like, even though there are so many things in life that we feel hurt us and take from us and this and that and another truly deeply we are protected and we're not ever going to be put through anything that god believes we can't handle so i feel like god's toughest soldiers go into the hardest battles i feel like that's what the message and just seeing an umbrella for you in my mind's eye is. Let me see if I can kind of pull in anything else. Hmm. <sighs> okay. That's interesting. Why is it showing me all this weird, like childlike things? Childlike ones. <laughs> I guess so, because literally I was doing a reading for someone the other night and every single reference that spirit was showing me and giving to me. And this was actually something that turned into mediumship reading. So I'm talking to this person's loved one on the other side and all they keep showing me is Disney references. And I was like, yo, I'm so sorry. Like, I hope to God that you understand and resonate with this because I, I guess because I'm a child, they only can think to show me child movies. <laughs> 
<laughs> and it was hilarious, but she was like, every single thing you just said was absolutely right. You're like, you're spot on. You're right on the money. Like, that's all very understandable. And I know what, that's my grandpa. Like, that's exactly what he's saying. And you're right. And I was like, whoa, thank good Lord. Because I'm over here like, okay, all I keep seeing is Disney princesses. What's going on here? And I was so confused. I was like, I didn't even like, you know, it was part of me being um, almost like conditioned and trained by spirit to be more confident is because I, a lot of the times in my past, and I've gotten so much better than I used to be, I'm still not fully in the place I know I need to be in my confidence levels. But, um, like, mediumship is something that is very outside of my comfort zone. So, like, I doubt myself. I just have to go for it. Like, I just have to do it. I have to say it. And every single time, it ends up being true and right and able to resonate with the person I'm giving that reading to. But in the process, it tears my nerves up. Let me tell you what. It really does. Somebody was telling me that the other night. Okay. All right. So, I guess I'm going to go ahead and tell you what I saw. So when I closed my eyes and I saw in my mind's eye a rocking horse for you, <laughs> a rocking horse here, it's saying that like this rocking horse is representing our childhood and it, it's like, it's a representation of the happiness, the friendships, the family, the bonds that we all want and crave as children when we're small, you know, our parents are everything to us, you know, that's who has to keep us alive. <laughs> you know, yeah. if it wasn't for someone, you know, taking care of us as a baby, we would never survive. Like we can't take care of ourselves. Um, so I think it's talking about, you know, in this rocking horse, it's foretelling that that is what is there for you, even though it has been stolen from you in a sense. Like, okay, what comes into my mind is like, what is the um the Trojan horse thing that got like, I'm so yeah, sorry. Boy. You know I'm terrible at history. I told y'all academically I'm not there. But you know when they sneak that horse thing into the, isn't that the Trojan War? Yes. Okay, thank God. I didn't want to sound like an idiot, but yes. So that is what I envision in my mind. It's like, they, your childhood was more of a like, um, it was as if it was taken from you in this sneaky and, um, almost just unseen way. Like you had no idea. I feel like it was like when you were a child and you were younger and in school per se, I feel like you were such a genuine and, you know, just beautiful person that even if someone was mean to you, sometimes you wouldn't even realize that they were being mean to you. You just desperately wanted someone to, you know, seem interested in you. And I feel like people were so just disgusting to you. And you luckily were like in this shield underneath your umbrella almost in a lot of senses, um, from that because of the, I guess, extreme senses of people being ugly to you. It was like God shielded you from the true ugliness that they had in mind, but it didn't affect you like that because you were so genuine in your heart that you couldn't even see it. You were too, you know, you're full of light to let their darkness affect you 
And so I feel like that's what God is saying in a sense, like Spirit's showing me, like, remember that it is something that, yes, you know, happened. And we have to kind of address and we have to realize, like I've told you, the inner child work, the healing your inner child, that's also what I'm talking about in my bonus episode as well. So it all goes hand in hand. It's like, but if we don't realize the things that were taken from us as children, subconsciously, unconsciously, whatever it may be, we might not have a clue it even happened. Like me, for example, there are things that I found from my childhood that I had not a clue happened to me, or I felt the way I felt about it until I read things, found things now in my life today. You know, I'm just now finding it. And it's things like that, that you have to heal because when it's pushed back into our unconscious mind, it's still affecting us, but we have not a damn clue why we feel the way we feel. And so I just feel like it's talking about, you know, all the things that are there for you and you don't need to put a limit on you know, that rocking horse's ride. You know, I'm thinking about one of those horses at the um store that we used to all put a quarter in and jump on. Like, your ride doesn't have a limit. Like, it can you can stay on that horse for as long as you want. And I feel like that's what God's saying is yours. Like, that is what you deserve, is to do and see and act as you want and you wish to. And you have the time of your life and don't let a single person standing there watching you say, it's my turn. Because no, (laughs) I feel like you have endured a lot of pain. And that is just one thing that um, I'm seeing. It also talks about the quarter, you know, that I mean, I say it talks, but I'm in my head, you know, it's just like these messages are coming through for you. And I feel like they're pointing at the quarter. And they're saying, that quarter is your quarter and it's a quarter that no one else can have because it also represents you know the fact that you have this specific type of quarter you know this is all metaphorical by the way (laughs) just so you can understand I hope you know and it's like envision a cartoon and in this cartoon um your character has a quarter that is magic and it's it is like good for life. Like you can use that quarter as many times as you want and it always comes right back to you. Like you never spent it. And it's like, that's what you have. And so other people want it and they want to take it from you. And God is saying like, be aware of the people who want your quarter. (laughs) If that makes any sense. Does that make sense to you? Okay, good. And it's just like, you need to understand that there are going to be people who are not good to us. But the main thing to remember in that and experiencing things in our life like that is that it really doesn't matter what those people are doing and saying and thinking about us because we're the one riding the damn horse with a magic quarter and they can go screw off. (laughs) Like, I mean, I just feel like that about it. It's like, it doesn't matter. We don't need anybody else to tell us what we can and can't do or what you know it's time you're it's your time's up you've been on there long enough no ma'am 
you get to stay exactly where you want to be exactly for however long you want. Now, that being said, I do kind of want to pull a few cards for you if I can. So close your eyes. Okay. And I just want you to sit there for a moment. And then I want you to tell me the first word that pops into your head. It can be anything. Trust. Trust. Okay. And I was doing the same thing on my end. And I heard the wind outside my window. And it's it's pretty interesting considering how many times we've brought up Gray during this conversation. But that was my sign from Gray was the wind. And, um... Yeah, that's really interesting that he's coming almost, like, through, I feel, to, like, add his two cents in, like, he, I think, wants to share his own, you know, findings from, he agrees with what he sees now on the other side is happening and why maybe he did the things that he did, and it's, like, there is a need. There is definitely a need to be able to trust your surroundings and yourself and feel safe in life. And sometimes when we don't feel safe, we feel the need to want to take our life, you know, versus someone else taking it first. I feel like there's a much deeper message in that of importance. The wind is a big thing symbolically. It's an invisible thing. So if that makes any sense, like we can't see the wind. Think about Pocahontas. She can either choose to sit back and watch the love of her life get killed or she can risk her own to make a point to show people that love is that answer that we all need. She falls in front of a person being John Smith that is about to get killed because of what was thought to be his doings, which it wasn't. You know, it was not him who pulled that trigger and killed that man. Um, I forget his name. Cocoam or something in the movie. But it was the guy that Pocahontas was supposed to marry. But then yeah. she meets John. And so... I feel like this wind that I just had come to me as a message for you, it represents the power of spirit being able to sustain life and hold life together, like holding it together. It's almost like it's a wind um, of threads in a sense. Like it's like imagine if we could see the wind you know, as little tiny strings almost. And it says like the wind serves as messengers of the gods to indicate the presence of the divine. So it's like when I heard the wind, I realized that it was spirit, you know, talking to me, showing me, hey, I'm right here listening to every word you're saying. And considering they work off my frame of reference, I associate the wind with gray. And so it's like you are surrounded by all sorts of you know just angelic beings and protection and just your angels and guides that love you whether or not you know that they are there and they're saying like we're all around you 
we are all around you and we're going to do everything that we know to do to pull you out with these ropes and strings as if they can be seen um, from the depths of life that you can find yourself just going underneath the water. You know, it's like we are barely above water if we're treading, you know, and we're about to go under and they're going to pull us up. And so it's like they're saying, don't ever, ever give up. Don't ever think that you aren't strong enough to endure what your life has in store for you, no matter what that may consist of, because we are all on a journey that is meant to teach us something. And yes, some of us go through things that are much harder than the next. But that being said, that's why I feel like you are being shown that you have this magic quarter. <laughs> and you don't have to live by the means of another person telling you to do or that you are something that you know deep down that you're not. Does that make sense? It does. You are being given the opportunity to paint your life. Just like going back to the movie reference, this kind of popped into my head. The Colors of the Wind, you know that part of the movie where she yeah. says... Can you paint with all the colors of the wind? Well, you can. <laughs> and it's it's almost like a metaphor for God saying, like, you get to color your life in any color you want. And with the most extravagant designs and symbols and beauty and artwork that you want to see all around you, you get to do that. We all do. We all have that opportunity. So are we going to make use of what we are being shown we are capable of having? I'm going to pull from the Divine Energy Oracle, which is, it's a very generic kind of, it almost gives you like a word, like you just gave me, like trust. You know, it's a very simple message that is followed by, um, you know, a deeper explanation of what that card truly means and its deeper meaning. And then... From there, I'm going to pull from the power of love, my activation. If you feel like you can resonate really strongly with the message I first give to you from that other divine energy oracle. And why I'm doing that is because the activation cards are um, activators. You know, it's like we have to be ready to use them when we're asking for them, if that makes sense. Do you understand what I'm saying with that? That makes I sense. Do. Okay, good. I just want to make sure sometimes I don't know how to word things correctly to make it make sense. But yeah, so um, it's like if we can understand the message that we're being given in its, you know, full extent, then we have the power to activate it. So it's basically like this activator card is going to be your paintbrush <laughs> in painting your life, all the different colors that you want it to be. So... Let me shuffle. Okay, so after asking you to set your intention about what it is that you want to see come into your life and help you to change and do whatever it needs to be done to see that change, the two cards that I have for you is make no judgments. And I kind of feel as if that is for the collective. And then your card that first flew out at me was say no things that we've already talked a lot about, you know? 
So well, when you first hear them, like, what is, like, the one that you're most drawn to? Like, what do you feel like? I mean, I just saw Say No first for you, and then the second one came out with it, and it's like, I feel like it's meant to be taken in a clump together, at, in a sense, but at the same time, I feel like saying no is going to be something that you need to do and you don't need to worry about the judgment or the feelings or the reactions that other people are going to give to you from that saying no. Because that's also something I've been working on myself here recently and I've had backlash, yes. But at the same time, it's been something that I've had to learn how to kind of manage my reaction as well. Like when someone gets mad at me for doing what's best for me, then I don't need to, in return, lash out and say, get over it, I'm actually doing stuff for me now, you know? Like, it's, I don't need to think that way, and I don't need to act that way. But initially, my first attempt in doing such, it really did trigger that, and I had to realize that those emotions were there, and I needed to address them and understand why I felt the need to want to lash back with this hostile kind of defensive mechanism you know what i mean yeah i do and you know i was setting attention and you know both of them cars kind of hit right on that because it was more so of the whole we talked you know we talked about it the other night about how like i help everybody no matter what i don't really ask they ask me for something i give it to them right i've been thinking about you know i'm just gonna cut everybody off you know Mm-hmm. And, I mean, that kind of... It's almost kinda, a way of saying you don't have to do that. It's yeah. a simple matter of being able to discern the difference in the two types of, you know, people that are going to be coming at you. And it's okay to be good to people. It's not like we don't need to be a genuine and kind, giving person because that's needed in the world. But we also have to be able to set boundaries. I think boundaries is a big thing that I haven't even mentioned yet, but it's still something that is so important. And that's like a whole entire subject matter that I could go on for days about because setting boundaries is something that I never, ever thought about doing. And it is incredibly hard to make yourself get in the habit of setting that boundary and not letting people push them down or invade past their limit. Yeah. Because that was a big lesson I had to learn that was so hard to understand at first for me. The guidebook is reading and it says, are you seeking respect or waiting for some form of acknowledgement that is not forthcoming? Are you allowing yourself to be pushed past your limits? It is time to resume authority over your life as a divine being. This comes with setting clear limitations and learning to say no when it is appropriate. Difficulties will be greatly alleviated by comfortably setting your limits. So your divine energy is calling you to simply be true to the authority for your life by establishing those clear and healthy boundaries. It is up to you to know what does and does not work for you and then respect that. So know your limits and express them before they are bypassed. And then you have to communicate those limits in a clear and calm, loving way. And it is also really important to avoid the notion that 
it's more spiritual to say yes to the request of others at our own expense. This is coming straight from the guidebook, Chris. Literally, this is not my words, like, because I know we did speak about this. This is coming straight from the book. Let me keep going. It says, if you can lovingly accommodate others, go ahead. But if saying yes to another means that you are harming yourself, you must not. There are times when saying no serves best, however difficult it may feel to express and uphold that. So your divine invitation is respect your limits and communicate them in a loving and consistent way. Be willing to speak up to others and establish those limits when is necessary. Be unpopular, if you must, in order to maintain your soul's integrity. Because learning to say no takes practice and you'll fumble sometimes. So to begin, ask yourself how saying no serves you presently and then respect it. I mean, it's that's crazy. I mean, that's from the guidebook, and it's that is from almost, the guidebook. It's almost hit on everything we talked about the other night too about it. Yep, you were correct. And we didn't even look at the guidebook. You weren't even home now. I know. That's what I'm saying. Okay, so let's see what this make no judgments is all about. I'm trying to find it in here. Where... It's my problem. <clears throat> what? Judging people. That's your problem, you said? Yeah, I have a, I have an issue with judging whether they really need it or not. Well, that, okay, so I'm, I'm not even going to tell you just yet because I know that there is a card in this activation deck about just that. Discernment, do you know what that word means? Uh... Exactly. I didn't either. But that is a big thing that I learned from that deck, actually, because from doing readings for other people, I would pull it. And I never understood that word. I never even knew it was a word. I didn't know the meaning behind it. But now I know all about discernment. And that is what I'm also personally working on for myself in my life. So we'll wait and see if you get that card. But I don't know. Um, If not, I do know that that is a great place that you can look to understand how to do just that. Make no judgments and be able to make the right, you know, decisions about helping others and knowing when it's needed and when it's not. I'm still looking for this card. I'm sorry. (laughs) Am I blind? Where is it? Okay, found it. So, it says... Are you struggling with a person whom you disagree? Are you feeling threatened or annoyed by the unsettling behavior of someone that is near you? Are you struggling with an individual that may feel or make you feel less enlightened or think that they are less enlightened than you? Your soul is alerting you to review your relationship in a more neutral light. So your divine energy is calling you to refrain from judging others. Don't perceive another as wrong simply because they don't share your point of view. Allow for differences without making this into a battle. Your divine invitation here is to open your mind and heart and understand that each person has their own path, but that ultimately all roads lead to Rome. Hmm. Stop viewing the world through the subjective lens of right and wrong 
and don't attempt to force your views upon anybody else as well. Listen to your higher self while at the same time respectfully allowing others to do the same. So who knows, you might even learn something. <laughs> what do you think about that one? That's, that's pretty neat too. Um, you know, we was talking about the Trojan horse earlier. I know, then, I know. I didn't even think uh, about that. Oh my God, that was in Rome, wasn't it? See, I am so illiterate when it comes to stuff like that. History wasn't for me. Just say that. But I didn't even think about that. That is a synchronicity, isn't it? All roads lead. I was. That's why I laughed. Did you hear me? I was like, Rome. Hmm. <laughs> because I was like, that's an odd statement or that's an odd kind of saying I've never heard before, I guess. But yeah. that is funny. I did say that, didn't I? But that's what popped into my head. That's what I saw in my head. It looked like a rocking horse, but it was like in the sh it was in this form of like that horse. The Trojan horse is what I saw in my mind. But I didn't exactly understand like what... <laughs> to compare it to other than a rocking horse. So, yeah, I'm sure there's even deeper symbolism in that just in, in itself, you know, because spirit works a lot with sending uh, symbolism and metaphorical comparisons to give us messages that we can understand. And it takes a long time to be able to recognize them in our, like, everyday life and in our, like, atmosphere. It takes a while because you have to kind of, like, look for it. You have to be aware. You have to be mindful of it being around you. And then, like, once you finally start to do it, it is like the floodgates open and it is everywhere. <laughs> like, do you see any kind of synchronicities around you in your life at this point that you can think of? I mean... Not really. Okay. Well, let me give you this one example. During your reading that I gave you, this just reminded me. It popped into my head, so I almost feel like Spirit's like, yes, he has. Remember the song I channeled for you, and you told me that you had already been listening to it earlier that day? That's right. That's a synchronicity right there. So... Oh. Things of that nature, that is what I'm talking about. So it is there, it is in your life, and it's, you know, around you. But it's a, it, like I said, it takes practice to be able to recognize it and get used to looking for it. Um, it took me, like I said, a while. But try to start doing that. Like, try to start paying attention to the lyrics of a song that you feel like stands out to you, maybe more than others. Or look and see, you know... <sighs> like if you keep listening to a certain song over and over and you're just like god I just keep listening to it I don't know why look into it deeper because I do that a lot and I did it last night even that's another thing I talk about in the bonus episode and good lord this helicopter is very loud but that's another thing I was like trying to figure out why this song would not leave me alone like it just kept coming into my mind and I was like just it was stuck in my head and it would just randomly come back. And I'll be like, what is up? Like, I have no idea what that song even means. And then today I figured it out. <laughs> I was like, good Lord, took me long enough. That song's been there for a while. <laughs> and I was like, what is this? Like, who is this for? Because it's not for me. But it was, in fact, for me. <laughs> okay, so pulling your activation card. And then I promise I will release you from this hostage situation I have you in right now <laughs> oh oh my god no fucking way well <laughs> you got <laughs> two different cards but the first one I saw was like literally trust is what you got <laughs> that's the card you got 
Okay. So trust, it says, you have a strong connection to your soul's loving voice and have faith in your intuition. And that's just on the surface of the card. And then the second one you got is humility. And it says, you have developed the loving awareness that you and everyone else are on the same yet different paths. So that being said, I can't believe you gave me the word trust and I pulled that card. I was like, oh my God, <laughs> love when that happens. Okay. Yeah, second one. That's yeah. that's pretty neat too. Mm-hmm. Does go right along with it, doesn't it? So this card says When you listen to your soul's voice, you will never go down a path that is not meant for you. But you must learn to trust that voice. By honoring the sacred knowledge that is within you and then acting on it, you can manifest so many amazing and great miracles into your life. Your intuition is dying to be heard, and every day that you are given opportunes you to test your trust in that voice. So as you go through your human journey, pay attention to each instance that that voice arises. Notice the significance and don't necessarily dismiss it as a coincidence. Literally, what I was just telling you about synchronicities and like starting to look for them if you can. That's what it's talking about. That's so crazy. So it's saying... I was thinking of trust and you pulled a trust card. Yeah, I know. That's what I'm saying. They're all around you. And that's the thing is like once you start to see it and you're looking for it, you're willing to look for it. It's like your guides are like, oh my God, he knows, he knows, send it in. And they're like flooding you with all of these things. And it is hilarious. Like I promise you'll be like, what is happening right now? Because it is so intense if you are just like at the point where you're like, okay, I've seen this. Like right now I'm sitting here staring at my computer screen and it's at 222 on the timestamp. And that's... That's another thing that I've been seeing all day today as well. So that's just another thing. Like I'm telling you, it is endless. It's infinite amounts of synchronicities that we can find to help us. It was 10, 10 earlier. Don't let me forget. But yeah, that's a big one for you, I feel like. It's also something that I have seen before. But lately for myself, I've been seeing 12, 12 everywhere. So you got 10, 10. I got 12, 12. Anyways, let me keep reading. <laughs> it says, notice the significance and don't necessarily dismiss this as a coincidence. So begin, begin to perceive yourself as part of the flow of life with an ever-expanding part in it. So as conflicts and challenges come up, recognize these obstacles as opportunities. The more you accept your inner voice as being trustworthy, the easier life will become. Unfortunately, there are many things in this dimension that you cannot trust, though. So some people, and sometimes even your own eyes. But no matter what, you can always trust when your intuition speaks. And didn't I kind of tell you a little bit about intuition and how you can discern the difference between your ego and your intuition speaking? Didn't I kind of talk to you about that the other night? You did. Okay, so... You, um, like if you ever have a question about that, because it took me also a long time, like I'm telling you, it's a process. You have to always start somewhere, but that's the thing is like to be able to do and, you know, help yourself in these types of ways. That's like, you have these tools available to you. 
you want to learn how to use them, I, I will teach you. Like, I really do want to offer a course to teach whomever wants to learn how to do exactly what I do for people, but for yourself. So you can do it. You know, anyone can. That's the thing is like, I don't have some kind of magical power that someone else doesn't. Like, that's the thing is it's only a matter of trusting in yourself to know that you are receiving the accurate information that you are and then being able to expand on that. It takes some practice for sure, but it's capable of happening in anybody's life if they're willing to do so. So that being said, humility, your second one. With this humility card, it says, remember to acknowledge that no one is lesser or greater than you. It says, humility is one of life's most estimable qualities. Estimable, that is a strange word. Hmm. Yeah. Estimable, is that what? I was thinking that it was talking about like estimating, um, but we might have to look that one up. <laughs> Yeah, estimable. Estimable. It's like E-S-T-I-M-A-B-L-E. Estimable. Either that or I'm just having a brain fart right now and I can't pronounce it or I don't know. Do, do you know that word? <laughs> Can... No, it means worthy of great respect. Okay. So, yeah, it says humility is one of life's most estimable qualities. So, yeah, with great respect. Makes sense. All right, so accepting others as a fellow soul who desires love and understanding and encouragement and the highest achievement of all, learn not to compare yourself to others because you never really know what personal traits and obstacles that they're facing. So a humble soul does not come from a space of fear, but it attempts to take chances on the new ideas and experiences for the benefit of all involved. Ever grateful for today and enthusiastic about what tomorrow may bring, they naturally exhibit compassion and charity, deriving true joy from giving rather than receiving. When you live without self-importance and pride, you find it very easy to practice kindness. It says life doesn't revolve around only what you can do to succeed, but what you can do to help those on your path. With a humble spirit, you need or you never need to compare yourself to any other person because you realize that it is our inherent uniqueness that teaches us about the world in which we live because everyone has a purpose for being here. You know, having humility is like being humble about who you are and what you are and all the things that you do. So my best interpretation of that card would be don't give wanting something in return so it's like when you give and you do something for a person do it without any expectation of getting anything in return does that make sense yeah it does so that is how like that's what I feel like that card's talking about is like don't judge another person for the way that they do what they do because they too are dealing and walking a path that they may not understand either. And so therefore they're handling it in maybe the wrong ways, yes, but who are we to judge them? They have to figure it out just like we're figuring out our own. And so it's like when someone is treating you in that horrible, ugly way, we have to know how to be humble 
in a sense, like we have to communicate that we're not going to let them stomp on us or walk all over us, but we have to communicate it in a way that isn't hostile. Like, okay, so here's an example I'm coming up with. So it's like you see someone on the side of the road begging for money, right? They're homeless. And you stop and ask them, and they say, because I'm hungry. And you say, okay. And so you go buy them food instead of giving them money. Now that person gets pissed and says, I don't want this food. But yet they had just told you that they were hungry. And that's why they needed the money. So that is a way of being humble. So not judging that person and immediately saying, nah, because I know you're going to go spend that money on drugs. I'm not stupid. I know what you're out here doing. It's not that. It's a way of doing something for a person and still being able to help in the way that you are capable of helping, but yet not enabling them and, you know, doing something that is going to be equally as destructive as, you know, the next person driving up and flipping them off and driving away. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So that's kind of like discernment too, I feel like. Like you have to be able to discern what a person needs if they're asking you for it. So that would be a way of you being able to be humble and still give but yet give in the way that you're willing to give, not the way they're asking you to. So it's like your choice, your um, way of going about it. Then that's when you have to trust your intuition telling you, no, I'll give you food, but I'm not going to give you money. But like I said, I'm not going to hold you hostage any longer, but I do appreciate you and thank you so much for doing this with me. <laughs> You're very welcome. And you are welcome to come back and do it with me any other time you'd like. Because I love having guests. I truly do. And they're hard to find. Oh, my gosh. People are, like, so afraid. As you can see, Miss Jeannie leaving us high and dry. She keeps texting me, but she won't answer the phone. And I'm like, girl, I know you hate hearing your voice on a recording. I know you just chickened out. I know what happened. (laughs) But that's okay. (laughs) We still love you. So, (laughs) Anyways, thank you, and I will talk to you soon. All right. All right, bye. Okay, that was my interview with the wonderful Chris Murphy, Murph Dog, if you will. Um, It's 11.11 p.m. I just looked at the clock. Well, what a beautiful note to end on. I'm going to go ahead and stop it before it changes. (laughs)